Hello, listener. In my line of work, you realize that all cases based on myth or legend have a beginning, and most are factual. In my adventures around West Virginia, I've stumbled upon many cases, and most had a ghost presence that wanted me dead no matter what. Here's a good case for St. Patrick's Day. In the small mining town of Thurmond, there is still to this day an urban legend of the Thurmond Leprechaun. This case grabbed my attention because I've never truly seen a leprechaun. I've just heard stories and I want to finally meet a real-life leprechaun. I know, I know, you want to know about Timmy. My next story will explain Timmy. Thurmond was a typical mining town that was booming in the early 1900s, but as diesel locomotives became more and more popular, the once booming town that had a bank, saloon, and a train station that served as many as 95,000 passengers a year dwindled to just five people living there to date. There are several mines in this town that have been abandoned, but one which they named Prosperity had more than its own share of wealth coming from it. And as the miners dug deeper and deeper, the veins of ore became wealthier and wealthier, and on one lucky day, Eric McCall struck a wall with his pickaxe And as dirt and muck hit his face, so also did a shiny yellow glow. And Eric knew he had stumbled upon something valuable. He decided he would keep it a secret. And when he returned every day during lunch break, he would take the gold for himself and become rich. He went home that night and at the dinner table spoke not a word to his family about the gold. And that night, his dreams were about nothing but the gold he'd found and how it was going to change his life forever. The next day, Eric decided to return to the little vein of gold and dig it up, and as he struck the vein, he would gather the pieces in his pocket, and before he left work in the evenings, he would bury the gold in the mine in a very hidden place that only he knew about. Three days of this activity, every day he would go back during lunch break to take more nuggets from the vein, and the mine owner was informed. The mine owner started to wonder where he was and why he was never seen with the rest of the miners eating lunch. The very next day, Eric decided to go back and take some more nuggets during his lunch break. But this time, the mine owner had one of his most trusted workers watching Eric. And when he found out Eric was stealing gold from the mine, he relayed the information to the mine owner who decided that night to pay a visit to Eric's house. Several men stormed to the house grabbing his daughters and wife, removing them from the house. Three shots rung out. Eric could hear the mine owner scream, bury them in the back behind the house. Eric's lust for gold had become so bad that even when they told him they had killed his two kids and wife, he wouldn't give up the location of where he had hidden the gold. The men destroyed the house looking for this gold. Unable to find it, the mine owner grew frustrated and furious with Eric and realizing he wasn't going to get his precious gold, decided that Eric wasn't going to get them either. That night, the owner of Prosperity took a few workers and Eric for a ride on the train that came to town. This particular train took ore to be smelted into bars, and they just so happened to have some gold that needed to be smelted. The owner offered Eric one last chance to tell him where the gold was hidden, and he refused. So... The owner who knew what was about to happen, that Eric would be in tremendous pain, didn't want him screaming. They started by cutting out Eric's tongue, grabbing the nearest piece of cloth, 
which was a bandana a man was wearing that had a shamrock pattern on it. The men shoved it in his mouth and taped it shut. They attached Eric's hands, which were now cuffed, to a pulley system attached by chains. They lifted him in the air and slowly lowered him feet first into the scorching gold liquid. As he screamed, his skin melted off his body. The owner gifted the men who helped him a few gold bars, each containing the ashes and pieces of what was left of Eric. These bars were given to them to keep them tight-lipped about the ordeal. The next day, one of the men was working in the mine. As he was looking for the gold Eric had taken, the ground began to shake. He heard a ghostly voice say, A curse you set upon my gold. None will survive for the story to be told. The man turned, and as he did, he saw a green light, and inside that light, something with a shade of gold. He was found later in the mine, murdered, with a pickaxe wedged in his skull, then another, and another. The men realized that the gold bars must have something to do with the curse, and they started burying the bars in the mine as an offering to the ghost. But each member of the mob still met the same fate. The mine owner, who would never give up his gold bars, decided that the mine was cursed and closed it down. He thought he could escape the curse by leaving the area, but just because you leave the area of the haunting, it doesn't mean you won't have lingering effects from what you've done. The mine owner was placed in a mental institution. He believed he was seeing Eric's ghost at his sleep and basically any time his mind was at rest. The ghost drove him mad, and within a year he ended up having a massive heart attack while in the institution. He was cremated. In his will, it was written that the gold bars he had placed in a safety deposit box were to be taken down to the mine and buried in a specific location. Ten men entered the mine to bury the bars, and two returned. I knew this probably wasn't a real leprechaun, but as stories go, some men are turned into beasts at the sight of gold, and they lust for it more and more. They're twisted into what some who create myths in urban legends call leprechauns. I knew it was probably Eric's spirit haunting either the mine or the area. The scary part is most people who ended up adventuring into that mine to date never returned. So, I entered the small, basically abandoned town of Thurman, and as I approached the abandoned Prosperity Mine, I could feel a very heavy presence. Something worse than normal. Not as terrible as the Lady in Black, but angry and terrified. I was about 500 feet from the entrance when my right front tire exploded, and as I got out of the car to investigate what had happened, there was an old rusty pickaxe that had pierced the tire. In my mind, I was thinking, maybe it was left on the ground, and I just didn't see it and ran over it, but the ghostly presence I felt had me feeling otherwise. This place was a hot spot for tourists and campers to come and try and get a picture of the Thurman Leprechaun. And I was walking toward the mine entrance. I could hear three or four voices talking about entering. And as I approached, I tried to reason with them to turn back and leave. The one leading the small group was named Christian. And he was a stubborn guy who was going to do what he pleased. He was there with his girlfriend, Belinda, and their friends, Cheryl and Alan. Belinda, the more reasonable one of the group, wasn't really wanting to adventure inside, but the other three decided to go forward and I was going to enter with them. <laughs> we chatted for a few, got to know one another, grabbed some lanterns from their truck, and 
their gear, and into the abandoned mine we went. The walls and ceilings braced with wood were still in amazing condition, with some little erosion here and there, but the mine looked like it was still usable. As we walked deeper and deeper into the mine, I could tell something was watching and staying close to us, not letting us out of its sight. The deeper we went, the more we realized the air was beginning to thin, and we were all a bit scared about running out of oxygen. We had been in the mine for what seemed like hours and decided to turn back. After my persuasion, even though Christian was against the idea, I convinced him there was no leprechaun. We turned to head back, and as we did, we could hear a faint echo of someone breathing, and then it spoke. Are you here to find my gold? Without hesitation, Christian screamed out, Yes! And it echoed through the mine. The voice spoke back one word. Leave. I began to feel sick, my stomach turning. The ghost knew I could feel his presence, and he wasn't happy with me. I told the others we needed to leave now, and Christian said he wasn't moving an inch until he got to see his leprechaun. He yelled out, Come get us, leprechaun! And the lanterns we were carrying started flickering. The voice replied once again, Leave. I tried to talk them into leaving the mine. They wouldn't budge. Christian wanted his stupid picture, and the others thought I had set this up as a prank somehow. The lanterns flickered, the ground started shaking, and the voice echoed out, Last chance, leave. Christian called the ghost a coward and told him to show himself. The mine shook, and we could hear the entrance cave in. The ghost was done giving us a chance, and we were all going to die down here. Belinda pleaded with Christian to leave, and he wouldn't. The stubborn asshole that he was, I told the group I was heading toward the entrance, and the other three agreed to go, and as we walked away, Christian called us all cowards. But something was wrong. My stomach turned once again, and as I turned back to look at Christian, I saw a green light, and inside that light something with a shade of gold. Some kind of monster. His skin was melted, his body was covered in gold, in the places where the skin was melting, you could see bits of skeleton. In his left eye socket, there was a fabric shamrock that seemed to go into his nasal passage and was coming out of his mouth, working as a tongue. The fabric eye flapped when the wind hit it. The specter swung his pickaxe back and stabbed it directly dead center into Christian's face. Belinda screamed, holy shit! And before I knew it, we were all running. Midpoint in the mine, there was a three-way split, and Belinda, Cheryl, and Alan all went separate ways. I decided to go down the right side tunnel with Belinda, which as I remembered, right, was the way out. I stopped Belinda several feet down the tunnel and told her we need to go back for the others. She was crying so hard it was almost impossible to get her to listen. Cheryl, who had taken the left tunnel, was running without stopping, but as she ran further and further down the tunnel, the light began to flicker on her lantern, and then suddenly, it was out. Nothing but darkness, not a light in sight. She heard water dripping, and thought she heard Alan scream, but that it was silent. She found a wall and stood there, trying to decide if she would head back down by filling the wall, or just stay where she was. After she calmed herself down and gained a bit of composure, she started walking backwards, using the wall to guide her. She could feel cold, damp earth with every touch. Then she felt something cold, something wet, 
dripping. And behind her, the lantern lit itself. She looked at her hands, and it was covered in blood. She looked to see where the blood had come from. It was Christian. She had placed her hand in the same hole the pickaxe had made in his head. The light behind her was getting brighter. It was moving, and she started running, but the light kept up. She got to the cross-section and decided to head down the middle path, but as she started running, she tripped over a rock on the ground. The light was gone. It was dark again. She heard a voice echo. I told you to leave. She couldn't figure out which direction it came from. It seemed to be coming from everywhere. She heard a footstep. She took a deep breath, afraid whatever it was would hear her. She looked back at the direction of the cross-section, hoping to see the light coming at her. But the light turned on behind her, and with one swing, the pickaxe was in her back through her stomach, and she was being lifted into the air. Alan had made it to a different room, one that was carved out of the earth and looked to have been a place to rest in the mine or possibly grab food. There were wooden tables, chairs. He walked up to one of the chairs to see if it would hold his weight. So far, so good. He took a few breaths and tried to clear his head. He was trying to figure out what to do next. The chair creaked, cracked, and Alan was on the floor. The sound of the chair breaking echoed throughout the entire mine and was heard by Belinda and myself. What was that, Belinda? I replied that I have no idea. Alan picked himself up off the floor, and as he did, he heard a voice behind him. As greed caused my death, so it shall be the death of you. The tables behind Alan were being thrown in the air, but nothing was there. The chair started flying at him, but nothing was throwing. Alan said he was sorry. He didn't want the gold. Everything stopped. It was silent. He could hear Belinda and myself yelling his name down the other path. Alan yelled out, down here! And the log brace behind him started shaking. And the earth above dropped on top of him, leaving him buried up to his neck in dirt and unable to move. The voice spoke, deep down inside, you truly do want my gold. And as the voice echoed, the ghost appeared, raising the pickaxe in the air and onto the top of Alan's head. We could hear the scream echo all the way down the line, and I knew Alan was dead. I could also feel that we were the next in line for the ghost, and that must mean that Cheryl was also dead. I told Belinda that we needed to make it back to the entrance, and we both started running. We were running closer to the entrance when the lantern I was carrying started flickering, and I knew the ghost was near. I told Belinda to stop. It was already too late. Ahead of us, about 500 or so feet, was the entrance. It didn't cave in, but I could see the ghost as well, waiting for us. The ghost yelled to us, You should have never come after my gold. Belinda yelled out, We don't want your fucking gold. The ghost laughed and disappeared. We both started running, and as we made it to the entrance it was about to escape, the ghost appeared, lifted its pickaxe, and was about to bring it down on my head. I pulled out the scythe that was given to me by Sam Hain, Salen. It connected with his pickaxe. He looked confused and shocked, and the ghost disappeared. We both walked outside, and Belinda said something that made me realize why this ghost was here. She stated, See, I told you I didn't want your fucking gold. I knew from that moment that the ghost was there to punish the ones who truly came looking for his gold. 
I told Belinda to head to the nearest police station and let them know that her friends were missing in the mine. I gave her a hug and sent her away. I walked back into the mine and summoned the ghost who approached me and asked me if I was an elder. I told him I fought one once and he gave me a souvenir. He told me a story and what happened. I told him that I came to places like this to help the ghosts set themselves free and that I would be willing to help him. He took me down a long passage to a place that had hundreds of wooden boxes stacked up in rows, told me to dig under a certain one, and a few feet down in the ground I found the gold bars that were given to him as a form of offering to save the men that had killed him, and also a little bag that had several gold nuggets placed inside of it. I informed Eric McCall's ghost that on the night they took him from his house, only one grave was dug. They took his wife and daughters out behind the house, and believing the wife knew where the gold was hidden, killed her for not giving them the location. The mine owner took Eric's daughters in as his own, and his bloodline is still active to this day. I informed him that the gold bars that has his ashes would be destroyed, but the little bag of nuggets would be passed down to his surviving relatives. He said he was sorry for killing innocent people, but the lust he had for gold made him a monster, and anyone that entered the mine truly wanted his gold, died. That evening, I took the gold bars and the little bag of nuggets out of the mine and headed down to the old smelting factory that was still in operation. Threw the gold bars inside. As it melted, Eric's ghost watched. He thanked me for setting him free of his curse. I promised him that his family would receive the money from the gold nuggets. As he faded away, he said, as Howard Jacobs did, that one way or another, he would repay me. Just remember, there are many myths and urban legends out there, and though it may seem like a fun idea to track them down and try to debunk them, some are built from factual occurrences, and you might not like what happens when you find that urban legend or myth to be true. Until next time.